Holy Father in heaven, blessed be thy holy name for your goodness and mercy in our lives. Lord, the best thing that can happen to us is the entrance of your word because the entrance of your word into our hearts gives us light and understanding to our simple mind. Therefore, Lord, we pray, may your word enter into our minds today. May it remove our simplicity and grant to us understanding. Refine us, elevate us, reform us, O Lord. Transform our minds, renew us, O Lord, with your word. And this word, I do not have it of myself, therefore I consecrate myself to you and pray. Please put your words in my mouth, that for the sake of your Son that died on the cross of Calvary for our sins, that we all may be blessed with your word today. Grant us of your spirit and grant us understanding. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, February 21 A Happy Marriage The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Genesis chapter 24 verse 7 Isaac was highly honored by God in being made inheritor of the promises through which the world was to be blessed. Yet, when he was forty years of age, he submitted to his father's judgment in appointing his experienced God-fearing servant to choose a wife for him. And the result of that marriage, as presented in the scriptures, is a tender and beautiful picture of domestic happiness. Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What a contrast between the course of Isaac and that pursued by the youth of our time, even among professed Christians. Young people too often feel that the bestowal of their affections is a matter in which self alone should be consulted, a matter that neither God nor their parents should in any wise control. Long before they have reached manhood or womanhood, they think themselves competent to make their own choice, without the aid of their parents. Many have thus wrecked their happiness in this life and their hope of the life to come. Parents should never lose sight of their own responsibility for the future happiness of their children. Isaac's deference to his father's judgment was the result of the training that had taught him to live a life of obedience. While Abraham required his children to respect parental authority, his daily life testified that the authority was not a selfish or arbitrary control but was founded in love and had their welfare and happiness in view. If there is any subject which should be carefully considered and in which the counsel of older and more experienced persons should be sought, it is the subject of marriage. If ever the Bible was needed as a counselor, if ever divine guidance should be sought in prayer, it is before taking a step that binds persons together for life. Amen. The title of our devotion is A Happy Marriage. There's so much to say about this topic, so I'll just go straight into the message. What is the measure of a successful and happy marriage? What is the measure of a successful life? Marriage is part of life. It is not life. It's just a part of it. So, 
Life is the main thing. How do we measure a successful life? If we know how to measure a successful life, then we will know how to measure a successful and happy marriage. You cannot know a successful life unless you know the purpose of life. And like I always say, life has just one purpose, not two. Genesis 1 verse 26 tells us that God made us to be in his image and likeness. Through sin, we lost that image and the likeness of God. The purpose of this present life in which we live now is to restore, to gain back that image and likeness of God which we lost. And until we gain that, we don't have life. So the purpose of this probationary period in which we are living because we are just in probation is to ensure that we secure for ourselves true life, eternal life, which can only be gotten when we have the character of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what is that successful marriage? It is one that fulfills the purpose for man's creation. It is not by how many children giving birth to in a marriage or by how flamboyant the wedding ceremony was that you measure a successful marriage. It is not by how much money and affluence the marriage has. That is, maybe somebody will say, I just married this wife and after I married her, everything started to go well with me and then you say the marriage is a successful marriage. No, that's not how you measure a successful marriage. Or measuring it by whether somebody dies just some moments after the marriage, some few days or few months, and then you say it was not successful. No, that's not how you do it. Neither do we measure it by the so-called providences and open doors. Oh, I married this man and then suddenly everywhere the door started to open and I got a visa to the US and to uh, the UK. Uh, and Then I say, oh, the marriage is successful. Marriage is not measured that way. Neither is it measured by the losses we have in life or whether there is sickness in the marriage or whether there is romance or pleasure. The happy and successful marriage, rather, is the one that elevates, ennobles, and does the work marriage was made for, which is to restore the image of God in man and make heaven more sure. If marriage does not increase your usefulness, if it does not increase your love for God or make heaven an eternal life more sure that marriage is a failure. You may talk of how many children you have and claim that my children are successful the same way you say, oh, life is successful because I graduated from university and got a job and then, and then I made a lot of money and had my own marriage and had children and then I died and then they will say, oh, is life well spent, a successful life in heaven. They write it based on whether you make eternal life or not. Be you ever so successful in the eyes of the world, your life is a failure if you do not have life eternal. And that's why Jesus would always remind us of that question. What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? That life is not successful even if it had all the wealth in this world and achieved all the great things but yet didn't, the person didn't secure eternal life. That marriage is not successful if it did not help you to know God even more, to love Him more, and to help you secure eternal life. If we don't understand life's purpose, we cannot understand the purpose of marriage. Uh, when we do understand the purpose of life, then we are to let marriage fit into that purpose. Reading from Adventist Home by page 99, paragraph 2, we read there, Christ came not to destroy this institution, that's marriage institution, but to restore it to its original sanctity and elevation. He came to restore the moral image of God in man. And he began his work by sanctioning the marriage relation. End of quote. This is reiterating what I have been saying. Even Christ began his work, what is the work? Of restoring the image of God in man by sanctioning the marriage relation, telling us therefore that marriage is to do a work. It is to restore the image of God in man and when that is done, life eternal is secure, which is the purpose of life in general. Why is this important? I'll read from Adventist Home, page 43, paragraph 4 to explain why this concept is important to know how to measure a successful and happy marriage. If those who are contemplating marriage would not have miserable, unhappy reflections after marriage, 
they must make it a subject of serious earnest reflection now. This step taken unwisely is one of the most effective means of ruining the usefulness of young men and women. Let that sink in. Marriage is one of the most effective means of ruining you who are listening to me. Therefore, Satan is very interested in it. I read on now. It says, life becomes a burden, a curse. No one can so effectually ruin a woman's happiness and usefulness and make life a heart-sickening burden as her own husband. And no one can do one hundredth part as much to chill the hopes and aspirations of a man, to paralyze his energies and ruin his influence and prospects as his own wife. It is from the marriage hour that many men and women date their success or failure in this life and their hopes of the future life. For emphasis, I would like to read that again. It is in the hour. It is from the marriage hour that many men and women date their success or failure in this life and their hopes of the future life. That is the point that we should have in mind. Still reiterating that life and marriage are well connected. Your purpose in life will be determined in that hour of marriage. Continuing the reading, I wish I could make the youth see and feel their danger, especially the danger of making unhappy marriages. Marriage is something that will influence and affect your life both in this world and in the world to come. A sincere Christian will not advance his plans in this direction without the knowledge that God approves his course. He will not want to choose for himself but will feel that God must choose for him. We are not to please ourselves. For Christ pleased not himself. I would not be understood to mean that anyone is to marry one whom he does not love. This would be sin, but fancy and emotional nature must not be allowed to lead on to ruin. God requires a whole heart, the supreme affections. Few have correct views of the marriage relation, and that's what I'm trying to correct now because people have the wrong mindset of what marriage is for. And I would say again, marriage is for the purpose of bringing you to a place where the character of God is brought in your life. And if you didn't have this concept before, I pray that you would understand and change your mind about how you think of marriage. I'll continue the reading. Many seem to think that marriage is the attainment of perfect bliss. But if they could know one quarter of the heartaches of men and women that are bound by the marriage vow in chains that they cannot and dare not break, they would not be surprised that I trace these lines. Marriage, in a majority of cases, is a most galling yoke. There are thousands that are mated but not matched. The books of heaven are burdened with the woes, the wickedness and the abuse that lie hidden under the marriage mantle. This is why I would warn the young who are of a marriageable age to make haste slowly in the choice of a companion. The path of married life may appear beautiful and full of happiness, but why may not you be disappointed as thousands of others have been?" End of quote. Now these words are being traced and read so that it can reset our mind, not to the wrong direction but to the right direction. Everybody say, no, mine will be different. Many thousands of marriages are failures. Why do you think yours? is going to be different. What thing are you doing differently to make you believe that yours is going to be different? By the grace of God, we will go through a step or well, I say a series of points that we should consider to do things differently so that we will not be part of that statistics that are the thousands that are mated but not matched and contained in heaven, burdened with woes and wickedness and abuse that lie hidden under the marriage mantle. So, what are the things we should do to have a happy and successful marriage? First of all, understand the purpose of life and then allow marriage to fit into that purpose which we've already talked about 
and then let God choose for you. As we have been looking at the life of Abraham, we have entered now into the life of Isaac and you can see how Isaac allowed his father to handle this matter and his father allowed his servant to take care of the matter and the servant let God to choose for Isaac. That is the source of Isaac's happy and successful marriage. But I tell you, if Isaac did not submit to the will of God, it will not be a happy marriage. In other words, even if God chooses for you, unless you have come to a point where you trust God and agree to take what he gives to you, you will still be discontented, dissatisfied, complaining, murmuring. But if you trust God, as Isaac trusted his father, he did not know Rebecca. He had never seen her before. He cannot, and you cannot love somebody you don't see. He learned to love her because the Lord chose Rebecca for him. We must come to a position. That's why we read that quote before that says, we're not saying you shouldn't marry somebody you don't love, but you should at least place it higher. The higher perspective should be marrying somebody God chooses for you. Then love what God chooses. Like Isaac loved what God chose for him. He was not in the business of selecting and feeling like, hmm, I like this, this is what I want. You know, some people write it down for themselves. You ask a man, what would you like your wife to be like? Tall, fair, let her be skinny, or I want someone that is plumpy. If you are having that kind of mindset, you are, you are setting yourself up for a failure in marriage. You need to let God choose for you because he knows best what is good for you and is now left for you to submit to what he gives to you as we have talked about that in the devotion yesterday so you can go through that to understand the details of what it means to let god choose for you through his word but not just it can happen by god just selecting for you the way he did for isaac or by giving you the principles to look out for in people so that you will know what is good for you so like I said, the first thing is to let God choose for you. As we looked at our key text in Genesis 24 verse 7, it says, Abraham was telling his servant, giving him this promise so that he can go in faith. He told him, The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from if you are like Abraham, you can't claim this promise unless you're like Abraham. Abraham is saying the reason why he trusts that God will certainly not lead him astray. He said to that servant, Eleazar, that God will send his angel before you. You won't make a mistake in this matter. Why? God is going to do the selection. Just go in that promise. But you can't just claim this promise. We can't claim the promise, but we can't claim it when we have not done what Abraham did, which is that he said God took him from his father's house and from the land of his kindred out of that land. In other words, he had had a conversion experience. He had left Babylon. Only as you leave Babylon can you claim this promise. And to those who have left Babylon and are true worshippers of God, you can claim this promise. The promise is God will send his angel before you, young lady, young man. God will send his angel before you and he will help you to get that wife or that husband. Only submit to his will and let him lead you. This promise is for all who, like Abraham, will put their trust in God. Isaac's marriage was a happy and successful marriage because he submitted to God's will and he allowed God to choose for him. But as we read in our devotion, Conflict and Courage, page 58, paragraph 3, it says, What a contrast between the course of Isaac and that pursued by the youth of our time. Even among professed Christians, young people too often feel that the bestowal of their affections is a matter in which self alone should be consulted, a matter that neither God nor their parents should in any wise control. Long before they have reached manhood or womanhood, they think themselves competent to make their own choice without the aid of their parents. Many have thus wrecked their happiness in this life and their hope of the life to come. End of quote. You see the dangers of thinking like this young people, thinking you don't want to involve anybody, you don't want your parents to have a say in this matter or any other person to scrutinize your choices. 
The danger is wrecking of your happiness in this life and hope for the life to come. It is a huge issue. So don't play with this matter. It is serious. So what is it that really makes marriage happy? First of all, allowing God to choose for you. When God chooses for you, he will select someone who, like you, have left Babylon, who will fit your temperament, who will complement your defects, like we already said in yesterday's devotion. You have to have similar temperaments, but yet, one whose attributes will complement you, who is not struggling with the same defect you have, God will select you in that way, just as Jesus selected his disciples and brought people who were not alike together, but yet, the same temperament is important and we'll hopefully talk about that later. But the ingredient in marriage that makes it finally to be a successful and happy one is love. So what is love? The Bible tells us what love is in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The whole of 1 Corinthians 13. A very popular passage telling us the characteristics of love. What it is and what it is not. Telling us things like love rejoices in, in good and does not rejoice in iniquity. Love hopes all things, believes all things. Love is patient. Love is kind. All of those things are attributes of love. I read now from Adventist on page 50, paragraph 4. It says, true love is a high and holy principle, altogether different in character from that love which is awakened by impulse and which suddenly dies when severely tested. Love is a plant of heavenly growth and it must be fostered and nourished. Affectionate hearts, truthful loving words will make happy families and exert an elevating influence upon all who come with the, within the sphere of their influence. So from here we are getting the same message, love is not feeling. It is a principle. What kind of principle? Not just any principle you want to set for yourself. No. Love is fixed. It is a high and holy principle. If it is not holy, it is not love. If it is not pure, it is not love. And 1 Corinthians 13 tells us the high and holy principle of love. By principle, love will not see evil and rejoice in it. By principle, love is not contentious. Love is kind, is merciful. Love hopes all things, believes all things, bears all things. But to further define what love is, I'm reading now from 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Adding to that, remember the purpose of life, the purpose of life, to restore the image of God in us. Jesus our Lord said, John 17, verse 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Remember, the purpose of life, is this probation now, is to get life eternal. So marriage is supposed to help me have life eternal. So how do I have it? Jesus said life eternal is to know God. If my marriage is not bringing me in a position where I can know God more, then that marriage is a failure. It's not a happy one, neither is it a successful one. True marriage a happy marriage will bring you to a position where you know god more where your knowledge of god will increase and what is the knowledge of god the knowledge of god is the same thing as loving god and you see that in the book of first john chapter 4 verse 8 it says he that loveth not knoweth not god for god is love that means he that loves god knows god so to love god is to know god and in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says, And hereby we do know that we know him. How do I know I know God? How do I know I love God? How do I know? Because knowing God is loving God. Therefore, in 1 John 2, verse 3, it says, This is how we know that we know him or we love him if we keep his commandments. And then verse 4 says, He that says, I know him, which means I love him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. This is the reason why we must judge a successful and happy marriage by this standard. It is well expressed in the words I'm about to read from the book Letters to Young Lovers, page 23, paragraph 2. It says, let the questions be raised. That's when you want to marry someone. Will this union help me heavenward? Will it increase my love for God? Remember, love for God means knowledge of God and knowledge of God means 
the commandments keeping of the commandments of god and if you are keeping the commandments of god you are getting his character the character or an image of god is being restored in you so if the marriage the question you need to be asking yourself with this marriage help me heavenward will it increase my love knowledge of god will it help me to be in a better position to keep god's commandments thereby restoring the image of god in me and the next question will it enlarge my sphere of usefulness in this life if these reflections present no drawback then in the fear of god move forward you are entering into a happy and successful marriage love is the ingredient and love is not a feeling it is a high and holy principle it is both of them working together to bring themselves to a better position where they are refining each other's character that it is becoming more and more like that of our lord and savior jesus christ this is well expressed again and in adventist home page 120 paragraph 1 christ in each heart will bring unity if the will of god is fulfilled the husband and wife will respect each other and cultivate love and confidence anything that would mar the peace and unity of the family should be firmly repressed and kindness and love should be cherished he who manifests the spirit of tenderness forbearance and love will find that the same spirit will be reflected upon him where the spirit of god reigns there will be no talk of unsuitability in the marriage relation if christ indeed is formed within the hope of glory there will be union and love in the home christ abiding in the heart of the wife will be at agreement with christ abiding in the heart of the husband they will be striving together for the mansions christ has gone to prepare for those who love him end of quote amen important point for us to take note of this is what makes a happy and successful marriage the wife having christ abiding in her the woman the, the, the husband having christ abiding in him how can they quarrel when christ is ruling in their lives if christ is in me and christ is in the wife how then can we not be in unity and how then can we not be happy and how then can we not be successful a happy and successful marriage is one where both the spouses are allowing christ to abide in their hearts and they are in unity developing the character of christ in each other forbearing with one another being kind to one another and this just being returned one to another as one is kind to the other the kindness is returned to the other just like that they are helping one another this is how to make a happy and successful marriage but then it sounds very nice now but is that the case all the time what are the things that can make christ not to abide in the heart they abound all over us and once those things come into the marriage it takes christ away and when christ is taken away the marriage becomes a galling yoke satan today has brought so many ideas into the mind into our hearts about marriage that makes us to have a failure in marriage and remember failure in marriage is not about not having money or not having sickness and success is not about affluence neither is it about increased opportunities to make money neither is it about how many children were gotten or whether there was no child born to the family those are not the things that show success success is the image of god restored failure is when the marriage doesn't help you to keep god's commandments so satan brings in a lot of ideas to turn our eyes away from the things that will make a happy and successful marriage and brings in false ideas that he tells us come and buy this come on it will help you it's ah, your marriage will be successful but it's a lie the first thing is selfishness when the people in the marriage the spouses are all concerned about themselves you can be sure that that marriage is not going to be successful it's not going to be happy so in order to have a successful marriage another thing we can add to the mix now we've talked about letting god choose for you allowing christ to be in the heart which is love love it should be we should be thinking about love the commandments of god and then now we are saying be more concerned about what you can do for your spouse and not what the spouse can do for you both spouses are to put each other first 
each is to be looking for how to do for the other. It's just the same what we call the circuit of beneficence that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the whole of the creation. Each is living for the other. The plants are living for you. They produce fruits that they don't eat. It is just for us that the plants strive to give those fruits. And we eat the fruits. The river is doing its work so that the water can be evaporated to the clouds and clouds then gives its rain to the to the ground and the ground produces the the, the, the plants and the plants produce the fruit and the fruit gives to man food is just a circle this kind of mindset should be in the marriage where you are constantly thinking of how to make the other person happy in the way of the lord not in a carnal way but in the way of the lord in the way that the word of god says you should do it so that's one thing you should have in mind put your spouse first and don't be too concerned about what they are not doing for you be, be concerned more about what i can do for him just as christ is concerned about what he will do for us we should be concerned about what we will do for our spouse you see another thing about marriage is we should this is very important to have a happy and successful marriage love must be expressed it's not something inside for god so loved the world how did he show it that he gave his only begotten son in marriages the spouses should know that love is something to be expressed it's not something to be repressed and kept inside the head well I, I love the person but i'm not saying it out of my mouth i love you but i'm not showing it in my actions it is the actions that should show the love how did jesus say he show his love for us he said it i love you he did say i love you for god so loved the world and not only did he express it in his words, but he also showed it in his actions. How did we know? He died on the cross. And the numerous miracles and you can't count how many things the Lord does to show his love for us. They are numerous. But I just want to list some of them. He provides food for us, provides water, provides clothing. He sends his word to us to, to speak peace to us, to calm us down. He tells us, I forgive you. He tells you, you don't need to remain here when we offend. If we cannot express love in words in the home, it will not be a happy one. Our union with Christ is only a happy one because of how he expresses his love to us. And we are to express our love to him in our actions and in our words. So it is with the spouses express love. Adventist home page 107 paragraph 2 says, There are many who regard the expression of love as a weakness and they maintain a reserve that repels others. This spirit checks the current of sympathy. As the social and generous impulses are repressed, they wither, and the heart becomes desolate and cold. We should beware of this error. Beware, many men, beware of this error where you think it's a sign of weakness to show love to your wife. And you think, oh, I don't want her to manipulate me, therefore you are also rigid. You will not say words to show her you love her or you will not do some actions to that are just thoughtful. Let it not be like a woman rapper, like somebody will say, you don't want to be mocked by anybody. Ah, this one, look at his buying gifts for his wife. This one, uh, they will call you, this one, a woman rapper. See how he's just catering to his wife. There's nothing wrong with that. It is your wife. The Lord does it for us too, even when we don't deserve it. This spirit checks the current and sympathy. As the social generous impulses are repressed, they wither and the heart becomes desolate and cold. We should beware of this error. Love cannot long exist without expression. Let not the heart of one connected with you starve for the want of kindness and sympathy. And let me get specific. How do we show this kindness and sympathy? First of all, words. Words matter a lot. Simply repeating it over and over again on a daily basis, nothing wrong with that. You tell your spouse, I love you. And then there are looks and there are gestures that just send some message to the person. And then somebody giggles and somebody chuckles. And then they know this person loves me. And apart from those looks and acts and uh, words, then the, exp the expression of love in the actions where you are thoughtful of the other person. You're coming home from work and you know that your wife needs this or that and you buy that thing even when she doesn't ask and you give it to her. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong in giving a hug. Nothing wrong between husband and wife when they can do these things and even helping out the wife in the kitchen and the wife too, the same thing. 
be thoughtful of the husband's needs. Like I said earlier, each should be thinking of the others first. It's the, generally the case that mostly the men get cold and rigid than the women and that's why I'm focusing on the things that the men should do. But the women also should know that selfishness does not show love. Think of him also and encourage and speak words to help him, let him know that you appreciate the things he's doing. That would help him know that he is appreciated. Respect, submission to the right things that the husband would say. Those actions show love. Continuing the reading, let each give love rather than exact it. Cultivate that which is noblest in yourselves and be quick to recognize the good qualities in each other. Don't be quick to notice the faults and only the faults you talk about. How about telling your husband why you love him and keep repeating it? You know, this is why I like you, because you understand me. This is why I love you, because of this and that. Why only talk about the defects of the person and be quick to notice the defects? Why don't you talk about the good in your spouse? It is important that if the marriage is to be happy and successful, these corrections, these corrections must be made. Speak of the good things that you recognize in your spouse. The consciousness of being appreciated is a wonderful stimulus and satisfaction. Sympathy and respect. See it now? Sympathy and respect encourage the striving after excellence. And love itself increases at as it stimulates to nobler aims. End of quote. So here he's telling us, encourage, speak words to show that you sympathize with your spouse. Show that you respect the person and you say that the person will want to do more. When you show your appreciation, thank you. Oh, you are so kind. All those kind of words will make the person want to do more than they have done. And don't flatter. Nobody's saying you should flatter your husband or flatter your wife. Express truly what is in your heart. Sometimes we keep it back. We don't want to say it. You know how you feel in your heart towards your husband or towards your wife. But you feel like if I express it, it will look like a defeat on my part. Why are you thinking like that? Come on, stop that. Express it. Don't think that, oh, when you express it, he has won me. I don't want him to know that I appreciate what he has done. Let him not start thinking this or let his head not swell. What are you doing that for? You are, just, you are ruining your own marriage. Talk, say those things and say it about your wife. Tell her the food was nice. Don't deceive her. Don't tell her it wasn't nice when it wasn't when it was. Don't tell her it was nice when it wasn't nice. Help her and correct in love, not in murmuring and complaining. Be be true. Don't don't deceive each other. We're not saying we should start saying words that are deceptive when you don't actually mean them. If you do take note of the good things in somebody's life, you will mean it when you are saying it that this is something good about you. And then you express it. And then when you are correcting, you also correct in tenderness and in love. Continuing, it says, The reason there are so many hard-hearted men and women in our world is that the true affection has been regarded as weakness and has been discouraged and repressed. The better part of the nature of persons of this class was perverted and dwarfed in childhood and unless rays of divine light can melt away their coldness and hard-hearted selfishness the happiness of such is buried forever if we would have tender hearts such as jesus had when he was upon the earth and sanctified sympathy such as the angels have for sinful mortals we must cultivate the sympathies of childhood which are simplicity itself then we shall be refined, elevated, and directed by heavenly principles. These are the things that make for a happy and successful marriage expression of love in words and actions. There's so much more I have to say about this, but for lack of time, I have to move on to another thing that would foster. But I would just suffice to say that it is not nice to complain about the difficulties in marriage. Leave when you are coming from home, husband or wife. Don't bring the troubles of your working place to the home and your depression and the disagreeable things that happened because you just bring gloom to the home. Come home cheerfully. Leave your business and your perplexities, all those things that annoyed you when you were on the road. Leave them there. Don't bring it to the home. When you come to your family, come with a cheerful countenance. 
because look at it spoils the whole place when somebody just comes home and is frowning the children themselves just notice it and everybody goes into their room quiet and silent seeing the person's face so hard and even the wife or the husband whoever is the one viewing the countenance it just chills the person's own cheerfulness and it is difficult for there to be happiness in the home so leave those things talk more about the good things going on in the home so that it can be of help and there can be happiness in the home now something else that ruins marriages today that doesn't allow happiness in the marriage is the things we are exposed to if you want to have a happy and successful marriage stop watching romantic movies and soap operas and stop reading all those romantic novels they create a false expectation in the mind about marriage relation Adventist home page 110 paragraph 3 says married life is not all romance it has its real difficulties and its homely details the wife must not consider herself a doll to be tended but a woman want to put her shoulder under real and not imaginary burdens and live an understanding thoughtful life considering that there are other things to be thought of than herself real life has its shadows and its sorrows to every soul troubles must come satan is constantly working to unsettle the faith and destroy the courage and hope of everyone end of quote the romantic movies we watch you know there are these satellite stations and the popular ones we have i don't know all over the world i don't know the ones that are popular but there are these programs that are done this korean romantic soap operas the spanish and hispanic uh romantic soap operas and, and you see them and they send a false picture of what marriage is you don't see the children there you don't see the changing of the diapers and the preparing of the children for school and the bringing them back from school you don't see the work that needs to be done to wash their clothes that have piled up they're not telling you all of that in the movies and in the romantic novels and soap operas they're not telling you those things they just present all this love sick sentimentalism and stories that are unreal to you and the problem is when you have been watching these things you go into marriage expecting that those things you saw in the movies is what your husband will be doing for you or what your wife will be doing for you especially women you're expecting your husband to do those unrealistic things you saw in the romantic movies please just you've been brainwashed remove such romantic sentimentalism from your mind and come down to earth and understand that there are there are difficulties to face in marriage there's work to be done and there are troubles to face and there will be shadows and sorrows to meet and you must do your part to meet these things and not expect that one will treat you like a doll you watch these cartoons and the ladies are already indoctrinated in seeing themselves as this princess while they are waiting for prince charming to come and cater to their needs while they are in a castle these are the things that are bringing unhappiness in marriage hope deferred makes the heart sick that's what the bible says so if you have this hope that is what your husband is going to do for you when it doesn't happen what are you going to what's going to happen to you you are going to get sick you are going to get depressed discouraged and sad so you need to remove such mindset from you if you must have a happy and successful marriage because you are you'll be judging your husband and your marriage based on a false reality remove that false reality and start judging it in the right way another problem one thing that divides homes today is the sexual life of the partners pornography has done its work and the devil is behind it for the men who have been involved in pornography you know the women is the romantic movies for the men porn oh no how many men know that what is acted in porn in fact for every pornographic film they are supposed to write there don't try this at home men want to try it at home thinking that those are the things that will please both them and their wives but they become sadly disappointed seeing that this is not the way to do things porn sends a false and unrealistic view of the sexual relations which is impure impracticable unclean detrimental to health unsatisfying and injurious to our health 
how do we know what the sexual relation is supposed to be like? I can talk a long sermon on this one, but just suffice to say, James 3 verse 17 will help us to use this principle to judge what the sexual relation is supposed to be like. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. The sexual relation is supposed to be pure. Then the next thing, peaceable. What is the opposite of pure? That is impure. It is dirty. Dirty to put your lips in a woman's private part. That is not pure. It is dirty to do that. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. And many men, they have seen this thing in porn. They think that because they watched it and they, the people were acting to them as if it's pleasurable. You don't know that they're just deceiving you. They are, that's deception. There's nothing pleasurable about that. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. It is not pure for you to do that. The Bible even tells us that the discharge of a man makes him unclean. Is that now what you want to discharge into your wife's mouth? It is unclean. It is not pure. Then the next thing, it is peaceable. What is the opposite of peace? War. Oh, but you are treating your wife like an object, turning her around here and there in disrespectful manners. How many women do you think will bear that? You know, porn makes men think that if you don't treat the woman like that, that she will not be happy. But when you come to reality, you realize that that's not the case. There are some positions that are degrading. Don't try it at home because you make your wife look like an animal. And when you now want to try it and then she's not agreeing for you to do that and then you see there's not a happy marriage anymore because you have a false expectation in your mind by the porn you have watched. We have been victims of these things and the Lord is speaking to us today. We have been brainwashed. This desire, we, we, there's this mind, oh, there's going to be this heightened sexual satisfaction I'm going to get when I get married and sleep with my wife. It's a lie. That thing you are pra- that you want to practice from the pornographic movies, it's not going to give you what you thought it would give you. You try it and try it and you think, oh, I'm getting it. You keep trying many things and you see that's not going to work. And sometimes, it's not, your wife will not agree. And she has, she's right not to agree. And women do not submit to degrading things like I have just talked about one of them. It is not pure, what I said earlier. And then, peaceable. Then the next thing it says, James 3 verse 17 is where I'm focusing on. It's, the wisdom that is from above is first pure peaceable then next in gentle hmm. i need not say much about that you know what gentility is don't be slapping your wife's face and be slapping her and beating her just because of sexual intercourse and be so rough on her be gentle next thing easy to be entreated if she tells you she's tired if the man tells you i don't want to do now each person should try to cater to each other's needs then you be easy to be entreated don't don't keep going full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy you get the point don't let pornography twist your mind and you get this wrong conception and reality of what sexual relation is supposed to be like only for you to go into the marriage and realize it's not like that and then hope deferred makes the heart sick you were hoping you will get this nirvana through the sexual intercourse you were hoping there's this orgasm the woman you're hoping there's this orgasm like the one you saw in porn that's going to happen to you too and then you are true and you're wondering "Ah, i'm trying to get something i'm not getting it where where is it now i I watched it it was like this don't 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 try it at home those things they're acting there are satanic things satan is trying to destroy the marriage relation through those things satanic stuff leave them alone follow this principle purity peaceable gentle easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits what does that mean good fruits that means when you are done the result of it will not make you sick it was michael douglas the actor who had was it cancer of the throat or of the tongue and he said that what caused it was oral sex the devil wants to push forward this pornography and the, make it look as if it's so nice. He's advertising it, but he's hiding the truth of the diseases and the sicknesses and the pains and death that results from such practices. He doesn't want to tell us. It's hidden. You don't see the media talk about it, but porn is all over the place. So that you will practice it to your own detriment, to your own ill health, and to the destruction of your marriage. And the worst part of this is that I know that many pastors are even deceived on this matter and promote this matter, telling people watch porn, telling their church members to watch porn to increase their sex life. You think you'll be satisfied? You only go out and start sleeping with prostitutes and you will not be satisfied. Calm down and follow the word of God. Marriage is not about sex. 
What makes marriage happy, as we have been saying, is these little attentions paid to each other, kindness, speaking those kind words, and most especially elevating each other to have the character of Jesus Christ. Bringing each other to a point where we are keeping the commandments of God. That is what makes marriage happy and successful. It's not acting pornography with your wife or expecting those romanticisms from your husband. No, that's not it. Going on, another thing about about uh, having a happy and successful marriage is many marriages are broken because they didn't check the health of themselves. When we talk about genotype, oh, sadness in the home because people were infatuated they were not fitted for each other and they got married and then started having children their children are suffering some homes are broken why because they would not follow common sense a little dose of common sense helps in many of the things i've just talked about and even for those who are fitted in health we should be careful how we bring children into the world do not have children unprepared and i'll say something now some families are better off without them in the west today many married couples are deferring the bringing up of children in 2020 when there was the lockdown all over the world many parents could not endure their children and i remember a case where a woman wrote on facebook that people parents who don't have children and single people don't understand what it means the pain and the burden of parenthood and then a lot of people replied that we know and that's why we did not even have the children in the first place and then others replied saying we know it and that's why we are not even married don't think that people don't understand if you do understand it and you can't handle it then you should think about it very well reading from ministry of healing page 380 it says parents should understand the principles that underlie the care and training of children they should be capable of rearing them in physical, mental, and moral health. Parents should study the laws of nature. They should become acquainted with the organism of the human body. They need to understand the functions of the various organs and their relation and dependence. They should study the relation of the mental to the physical powers and the conditions required for the healthy action of each. Now listen. To assume the responsibilities of parenthood without such a preparation is a sin. There are many children in families today that are unwanted pregnancies, unprepared for. We should do our best as parents. And I understand the family planning and how difficult it is to really um, stop this from happening. But I think everybody should try to make all the effort necessary to in a healthy way because there are some unhealthy ways of practicing family planning in a healthy way try to ensure that they are prepared for children before they come into the home bringing children too early into the home when the marriage is just new especially when they follow the right ways because some marriages is not actually new maybe they just married now but they've been married for the past five years you know what i mean so maybe they can go ahead they've already spent a lot of time together maybe shouldn't have been anyway but for a really new marriage you need to give yourself some space and don't let children come in to 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 break the unity of husband and wife let there be time spent with each other for a while first before bringing children into that home and consult the lord prepare also you look at the preparation here like we said preparation should be the knowledge of the human body be capable of rearing them in physical mental and moral health study the laws of nature know the organism of the human body understand the functions of the organs of the body and their relation to the mental and physical health if you don't do this then you shouldn't be uh this is the preparation you should make you shouldn't be uh bringing children into the world you should know these things because your children are going to need this assistance so here are some things that make for a happy successful marriage i would have loved to talk about the things to look out in the men yesterday we talked about choosing a wife which is important i would have liked to talk about things to look at in the man but for lack of time i may leave that out but important other important things we should take note of in order to have a happy and successful marriage compatibility is important we talked about that yesterday but there's a kind of compatibility we should take note of which is the family background and we should know those who are suited for each other. It's not every family that can just marry another family, regardless of whether you have the same principles, even though you are both godly, it still doesn't matter. You should know very well that, okay, 
because of certain things these people cannot be together you see there are two families should not be brought in a relation who, who they will not respect each other let me just put it that way where one would be disrespecting the other because of their ancestry or something like that be careful to take note of these things and uh, i've just reading testimonies on sexual behavior page 22 paragraph 2 says look to the family history two families are to be brought into close and sacred connection perfection in all these relations is not of course to be expected but you would make a most cruel move to marry a girl whose ancestry and relatives would degrade and mortify you or tempt you to slight and ignore them now this is just a broad statement the specificity of what is here is not very clear but basically what he's saying is if you know that you are going to get married to someone who you think getting married to this person would not just i would be like you see let me stick to the words here degrade and mortify you or will make you look down on someone else then perhaps you should not get into that then in getting into it you should seek counsel from friends and uh, your parents so that they can also give you their own insight only you can't just be the one who would notice everything you need to ask questions and listen to experienced people your parents and come some confidence as your friends in testimonies on sexual behavior page 22 paragraph 3 says it is safe to make haste slowly in these matters give yourself sufficient time for observation every point and then do not trust to your own judgment but let the mother who loves you and your father and confidential friends who does it mother father confidential friends make critical observation of the one you feel inclined to favor and i mentioned earlier about the need of similar temperaments reading this continuing now it says i learned talking about someone that he wanted to marry a particular person but this man was a person who grew up in a hard life i wanted to marry a lady who grew up in a soft life and it, it doesn't work it says here your organization is not of that refined order that you can make a woman of her fine sensitive nature happy it is not at all in god's order that such temperaments as hers and yours should unite two different temperaments one is of the refined order and the other one the man is of the rough kind of which it's not as if the man is a bad person or the woman is not a good person people who grow up in different backgrounds have different experiences it won't work that's why it says not in god's order talking about the man she says you possess a large proportion of the animal so his advice to him is when you seek a wife go not among the delicate and refined where the intellectual predominates select you a wife among the class more in accordance with your own organization you cannot make a person of a refined spiritual temperament happy end of quote i think the point is clear and gotten here that in order to have a happy and successful marriage the people you should know yourself one who is refined the intellectual kind which is not a bad thing people are different some are intellectual and of the refined like we call it soft soft life while some other people grew up in a rough hard life uniting such people the standards they will be using to judge each other will just be out of place even the 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 unity will not be there one person's sense of humor will be this way the other person will not appreciate it because of the lack of unity and compatibility it won't just work because they are not gelling they are not uniting at all so here are a few things perhaps much also that will help us to have a happy and successful marriage but in the foundation of it all is christ abiding in the heart of both spouses they will both unite as far as christ is abiding in them and we should understand the way to judge a happy and successful marriage it's not by those other things i've mentioned earlier but it should be judged based on the questions will it increase my love and knowledge of god will it increase my usefulness and in this life will it also make me uh make heaven more sure for me if that is what the marriage is going to do then that is a successful and happy marriage even if there's no money look at joseph and mary how rich were they what of elizabeth and john the baptist it was not about the money 
And even those who are rich too, you can still have a happy and successful marriage. And perhaps you are in a situation now where you are looking at your marriage and it's not happy. It's not being successful in this manner of um, making heaven more sure for you. The money is there. Or some, you are even poor. You have all that heart could wish, but you are not happy. You can be happy in Christ. Maybe your spouse is not uniting with you. You are going in one direction. Your spouse is going in another direction. Don't let it eat you up. Rejoice in the Lord. Follow on to know the Lord. Even though your marriage is not doing that work it's supposed to do for you. Yet, don't allow the troubles of your marriage to go without getting a lesson out of it. Let it help you to develop some other characters that also Christ will develop. Is your spouse not keen into the vision of what marriage is supposed to be like, which is restoring the image of God in you, following after the commandments of God? Your spouse is not doing that. You can learn patience through that. You can learn forbearance through that. You can learn forgiveness and mercy through all these things, which you may not have learned as deeply as through the situation that you find yourself in now. Pray to God and the Lord will give you happiness. Marriage can make you unhappy, yes. But the Lord, there is nothing the Lord cannot do. You can still be happy. As far as you are in Christ, you can be happy. Leave things in the hands of God and don't worry yourself too much. May the Lord bless you. Let us pray. Dear loving Father in heaven, we present ourselves to you and we pray, please help us the various situations we find ourselves whether in an unhappy marriage we pray lord please take our lives and consecrate it to yourself oh lord and help us lord to find peace in you and for those who are just entering into marriage lord please help them that these words shall be a blessing to them help us lord and those who are not even into one and are contemplating we pray father that such ones would follow these things by your grace to have a happy and successful marriage Thank you for hearing and answering prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.